This summer, I got to go to a family reunion, but it wasn't my family. It was actually my wife's, and it was really for really the extended extended uh, version of the family. There were a number of Italian immigrant families who moved to a small town in northern Minnesota to work on the railways about 100 years ago. And uh, anyway, these families have uh, not only uh, sort of married all of their own children to each other, but they've kept in touch. And so this summer there was, I don't know, 500, 600, 700 people. They lost count after a while. Uh, And what was beautiful was just how open it was. There was room for everybody there. And uh, I even had a name tag. It even said spouse on it, right? So uh, (laughs) identifying that I had nothing Italian in me other than I like pasta and meatballs. But it was beautiful to sort of see the way in which people made room for each other. And I got to hear the stories of, of generations past. And when uh, these workers came over, the uh, rail companies, they would only give them an old rail car for housing. Yet they were living uh, in these rail cars, and yet they found a way, in spite of their poverty, to make room for one another, right? There was always one more place at the table, which may be why those children who had spent all that time together at each other's houses and ended up growing up and marrying each other. But again, there was this beautiful way in which the whole sort of week to me there with this reunion uh, was just all about making room for people. I think at the core of this parable is is about making room for other people and the the movement and the work of God to to make room for us and uh, for more. Because, again, God keeps inviting people into the vineyard, into the kingdom. In God's kingdom, there's plenty of room, plenty of work, uh, plenty of daily wages, plenty of of daily bread. And, and God has this sort of annoying habit, in fact, of inviting people that we might not normally invite, right? People who are different than us, people who are on the margins. And in our eyes, like that optical illusion, people may look different, but in God's eyes, they're all beloved children. And so God keeps making room and keeps inviting and inviting. And that's the world, of course, of Sunday, where there's abundance and there's inclusion But we know that's not exactly how real life works. Real life, there's often far more scarcity and far more hard decisions and exclusion. Right now, uh, the townships in our area are in a strategic planning process, and the number one issue is housing. There's literally not enough housing to go around. Like, there's not enough room for new people. So I talked to the town planner this week, and he said, well... The easy solution is just to tear down the old houses and lit and build high-rise apartments, and we'd have plenty of room. But that's obviously not going anywhere. So please don't say that I started a rumor that was happening. Yeah. Or I think, too, you know, the, the immigrants who came 100 years ago, clearly our nation has had a real struggle over time of how do we welcome people who are new? How many immigrants and refugees can we take? My sense is that if a a railway company today in northern Minnesota only gave its employees old rail cars, that that would make the news, and it wouldn't be in a good way. Again, we sort of struggle with with this, of what does it mean for us to to make room for for people. And my sermon today, I'm not going to try to offer simple policy solutions for for complex questions, but I do want us to be challenged, to hear this this challenge that, that God... 
is the one who invites and makes room and calls us to make room for other people in our lives, in our circle of friends, in our communities, indeed in our world. So I want to think about one of the obstacles that we have to really, especially sort of Monday through Saturday, making room for other people in our lives. And to get at that, I want us to consider this parable that at the end of the parable, people start complaining and grumbling. But if you notice, all day long the sun was hot. But nobody complained and grumbled until they saw what other people got. Right? It didn't matter. The sun was beating down on them all day. Not a word of complaint. New employees come? Sure, the more the merrier. There's a lot of work here. But as soon as it came to payday, suddenly everybody got unhappy. We know this to be true. When I was uh, in my job, my, my first kind of real big job after college, at the end of the year, we didn't get overtime, we got a bonus. We'd all get called into the boss's office and they'd say, you know, this is what your bonus was. And it was significant, you know, 10, 20% of your annual salary. You'd walk out feeling good. But suddenly, even though it was all highly confidential, within a day, we all knew what everybody else got for their bonus. And suddenly, that, that joy that like, oh, look, look how special I am, suddenly it was like, that person? That person got that much? Hmm, burns me. Right? There's something uh, about this in human nature that when we start to play the compare game, especially about money or about family, about possessions, about the life that somebody else lives, about their marriage, suddenly we're, we're unhappy with what we have. And we've uh, known this to be true in the human nature for, you know, the Bible reveals it to be true. This parable points towards it. Uh, but we've all sort of been in this, this grand social experiment the last two decades or so called social media. And what happens is, is that every day, uh, whatever the platform might be, whether it's TikTok or, or Facebook or LinkedIn, what we do is we get to look and observe the curated self of other people, like their best life now. Uh, so, for instance, like how many of you this summer posted a picture of everyone happy in your family on a vacation, right? And many of you saw those in your, right? Okay, did anybody here post the four-hour video of trying to come to a consensus about where you would go to dinner? Did any of you post that video? Because right? that was part of your family vacation too, right? And everybody posts on the first day of school a picture with their kid, you know, I'm going into sixth grade, and of course, the older they are, like, mm, this is really awkward. But, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, you little cute kids in the first day of school. Nobody posts pictures of the C-plus their kid got the second week of school as they're readjusting to a harder teacher and a new grading rubric, right? It's, it's only the celebratory. It's only the good. And so we live in this world, again, even if we're off of Facebook, just the whole sort of social media world ecosystem that we live in, it's so easy to spend our time comparing ourselves to other people and how good their family, how good their relationship, how good their grades, how good their college, how good their job, how good everything in their life is. And, and sometimes it's hard to have that filter that says, but that's the made-up version of their life. And we forget that. And then what happens is so many of the people in our lives, they become frenemies. They become frenemies. They become people with whom we feel a real strong sense of competition. And it becomes harder and harder for us to be happy for the success and the blessings in other people's lives. And it begins then to affect our own relationship with God. 
where suddenly instead of going to God and being thankful, spending that, that time together with Jesus saying, wow, you've done so much for me, our hearts are filled with a lot of, you know, but, but other people have this, and, and why, why do other people have this or that in their life? My sense is that the, the more the time that we're going to spend in social media, whether that's, again, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever it is for you, the more time we're going to spend in that, the more time we need to spend in prayers of gratitude. Again, the more time we're going to spend consuming and absorbing how wonderful everybody else's fake life is, the more time we need to spend with God talking about our life and the way in which we're thankful to God for what is happening in our life. And strangely enough, when we can have that posture of gratitude, that can allow us then to look at other people and what's going on in their life and maybe just maybe be real and vulnerable with them about what's going on or even begin to accept and rejoice with them about the good things that are happening in their life. So again, I think this week the parable is about making room for others, and I want to put out there the challenge and struggle we have of jealousy and really a call then to be to be gracious and to open our hearts that we might finally open our hearts to others. But I think the the parable, the reason why Jesus told the parable the first time I I would like to offer is that Jesus right now in this parable, if we look sort of broader in where it is in Matthew's gospel, is speaking to the leaders of the future church. He's talking to James, John, and Peter and the other core disciples. And and he actually tells them that in the age to come, they're going to be leaders, they're going to be judges. And so he's sort of preparing them for what life is going to be like after the death and resurrection, when they're given authority over the church. And Jesus is telling them that they're going to have to make room for other people. Because again, these first disciples, there's going to be more that come along, and, and these first disciples are going to have to make room for people who come later to the party including people that didn't grow up as Jews or later as Christians. And this, you know, this can be tough for us to make room for new people. But I just want to do a little quick thing. Raise your hand if you did not grow up in this church. Raise your hand if you did not. Okay, so clearly, clearly you all have at some point, somebody made room for you in this church. Somebody made room for you in this church. And what I want to say is that next time somebody says to you, oh, I hear you go to St. Paul, I hear they're really healthy, I hear they're even growing when a lot of churches aren't, you can tell them. And I dare you to say this to them. Say, well, it's because the people that were here the longest have been better about making room for new people. You'll just pour salt in them right there. They're like, But it's true. It's true. The people who have been here the longest have been so good about accommodating and making room for new people. And I'm telling you, this doesn't always happen at churches. The church where I I, I served previously had such a generous heart, but there was something weird about the back pews in this church. It was like families, you know, that had sat there in 1840, like their children still sat in the back four pews. You had to be born in to one of the back pews in the church. And uh, so, so one day this family comes and visits us, and their kids are really badly behaved. All of you are like, oh, my kids are so bad. No, no, no. This was really, I mean, so this is one of those churches built before the age of microphones. And the kids got out these, these uh, 
these trucks and these cars during my sermon, and they were running them, like, along the floor in the front row. And, like, everybody can see and everybody can hear and everybody. Well, anyway, so a couple of the people from the, from the backseat gang come up and are like, Pastor, Pastor, you know, these people, they, they're sitting in the front row and they're, they're making all this noise. And I said, well, you could also sit in the front row and give them your spot in the back, and then they wouldn't be a distraction. Uh, they stopped complaining to me. I, I think they still complain. They just stopped complaining to me. Again, there's all sorts of ways in which as a church it becomes very difficult for us to make room for, for new people. And this is part of why we're actually doing the Narthex project. Yes, of course, it just needs some, some new paint and all. But we also know that as a church, every week we're getting visitors. We anticipate that we'll probably get about 100 visitors this year. And when we began to look in the narthex, we said, wow, you know, the signage, the traffic flow, the arts, the symbols, this may not be intuitive to somebody who's new. And we know that the further we go, when we're getting people who are visiting us, they're often coming not from this church, not from a Lutheran church, just not even from any church at all. And there's a call to, to make room for them. In fact, I want to share with you that many of the people who, are, who have come back to St. Paul the, or started coming in the last year, what they've told me is that they had just stopped going to church altogether. They had just given up on, on there being a church for them. And they kind of said, almost like a Hail Mary, a friend had invited them to St. Paul, and they came. And they were finally starting to feel like maybe, just maybe, there, there was a church that could work for them or their family. Again, the Spirit is pushing us and challenging us to make room for people, for people that haven't even yet come but who are hungry who have heard the voice of God inviting them to be a part of the kingdom and what's going on here at St. Paul ultimately though we are all welcome here and invited not simply because the people who were here first or earlier than us made room for us we're all invited here because of Jesus Christ and his invitation and his welcome to us in the parable this morning, the people are grumbling and at other points idle. They're jealous of each other, and I think we all can acknowledge that at points in our own relationship, there is an amount of jealousy and coveting what others have. And we have real trouble praising God for the goodness in our lives, yet Jesus Christ still invites us. In fact, Jesus Christ takes that coveting, takes that jealousy and envy and puts it in his body that it might be put to death and that he might give us a new heart. Indeed, we pray each week, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that in heaven, that there's this vision of all people all around the world of all different backgrounds rejoicing together. And even though that's not the way that our, our world is, as we pray that and as we're welcome at Christ's table, we open our hearts, challenge ourselves, and imagine what we need to do to make that table bigger to make room for others that that vision of god might be realized here while we wait the coming of christ amen